Just another day in the United States of America. Another day of gunfire, panic, and fear. Yep, just another day. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica with you. Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast. As heard on 90.7 FM in LA. In Oregon, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. On the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio, uh, RadioOrNot.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week, and that's just a partial list. Glad you could join us. Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow here from bradblog.com. And it is, once again, another thrilling action-packed adventure for you that we call The Bradcast. Of course, uh, it's difficult balancing our need here on this uh, program our need to report on uh, you know the the shiny objects of the day uh, balancing that with covering the stuff that actually matters over the long term that's always difficult that's always a tough call of course with the breaking news in our backyard on Wednesday that horrific shooting in San Bernardino that was an easy call even if it meant pushing uh, everything else back for another day or two or more, uh, as we had to do as that story broke yesterday, just before we went to air. But, but, come hell or high water, uh, come come holiday, come breaking news, come cold and flu, uh, we will cover the climate conference going on right now in Paris, as it is uh, currently the only path now for saving the entire planet, which I think is kind of important. What do you think, Desi Doyen? just, it depends on your perspective. If you plan on being alive in, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, yeah, you might want to pay attention. Oh, no, wait a minute. Are you saying in 5, 10, 20, 15, 20 years, we're, we're not going to be able to uh, survive climate change that soon, that early? I think you're getting out ahead of your skis there, young lady. I would say that for certain people in certain locations, yes, they will not survive. For certain people in certain locations, you're absolutely right. That, of course, is Desi Doyen, our producer, my co-host on the Green News Report. We will have one of those coming up uh, uh, shortly. And as I say, finally, we will get to some coverage of Paris and I hope to uh, of the U.N. Climate Conference in Paris and uh, uh, hope to get to uh, much more as the uh, conference continues uh, this week and next week. It may not be as exciting as a uh, as a breaking shooting or whatever obnoxious thing Donald Trump and other Republicans like him, which, by the way, make no mistake at this point, they are all like him. They are all like him at this point. 
So it may not be as uh, interesting as, as, you know, what stupid thing uh, those people had to say. But we will be covering it. So we will have both some follow-up on those uh, horrific shootings yesterday in, uh, in San Bernardino. And we will focus on a few other items today that desperately need coverage. Among them, two new accountability stories of a sort. Perhaps lack of accountability stories uh, concerning both the coal industry and the oil industry. And now it looks like... Nobody, nobody will face real accountability for the deadly 2010 BP oil spill disaster in the Gulf of Mexico that killed 11 men. Though we may have, we may, and I underscore may, have a bit, and I underscore bit, of accountability on the coal side of the issue today concerning the 2010 Massey Energy Mine Disaster at the Upper Big Branch Mine in West Virginia that killed 29 miners just days, just days before the BP explosion and uh, and that oil spill that wrapped the attention of the world for months during the summer of 2010, which no doubt uh, came as a pleasant surprise to Don Blankenship, the CEO of Massey Energy, where those uh, 29 workers were killed in that uh, horrible, uh, horrible explosion, Don Blankenship, of course, long known as the Dark Lord of Coal in West Virginia. And uh, he was a big Republican power player. Uh, he was the CEO of Massey Energy during that upper big branch mine disaster. Well, on Thursday, Don Blankenship was convicted of a federal charge of conspiring to violate mine safety standards. That was part of a case that emerged after the accident, described by the New York Times as the deadliest in mining in uh, in the U.S., the deadliest in mining history in the U.S., at least for decades. The verdict reached by a federal jury finding him guilty made Mr. Blankenship the most prominent American coal executive ever to be convicted of a charge connected to the death of miners. He had been accused of conspiring to violate mine safety regulations as well as of deceiving investors and regulators. Prosecutors secured a conviction on only one of three charges. Mr. Blankenship was acquitted of making false statements and securities fraud. He faces a maximum of just one year in prison on the misdemeanor conspiracy charge. A misdemeanor. Misdemeanor. And he's only facing a maximum of one year. We'll see what, if anything, he gets. This is uh, seen as a defeat for the Justice Department by many. They had pursued a prosecution that could have led to a 30-year prison term for, uh, for Blankenship. Lawyer for, uh, for Blankenship uh, said he, of course, intends to appeal. You'll be shocked. This uh, William W. Taylor III, the leader of Blankenship's defense team, said he's confident they will prevail on appeal. Judy Berger had allowed Blankenship to remain free on bond until his sentencing expected next spring. Yeah, what did I say? You said just Judy Berger. Oh, you mean not Judge Judy. Judy Actually, Berger. Ju- no, I don't even know if she's Judy. I meant Judge. You're oh, right. Okay. <laughs> judge Berger uh, allowed him to go free. The prosecutor has asked that Mr. Blankenship be jailed or confined to his home until sentencing, but it looks like that's not going to happen. Prosecutors had constructed a case accusing Blankenship of putting his pursuit of profit for uh, 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 for himself and his company ahead of the safety of the miners who worked for him. Jurors th- throughout the course of the trial learned about his demands for production reports from the Upper Big Branch 
every 30 minutes. Had you did you know about this? He was uh, asking, I knew that he yeah. had gone far overboard and beyond I think what most people would consider even reasonable in uh, trying to force his workers and his mine managers to increase production uh, without increasing their personnel, without increasing their safety equipment, without increasing pretty much any of the equipment that they would need in order to increase production safely. And you know, they kept arguing all along in the trial that, you know, he wasn't doing this. He's a big friend of the miner. And look at all these wonderful oh, yes. things that he's done. This new program he's instituted that that makes mining so much safer, even though, of course, you look at it objectively and it does not. Um, they also tried to argue that the Mine Safety and Health Administration, MSHA, did not, uh, was at fault for the Upper Big Branch Mine explosion that killed those 29 that, wait, men. Wait, that MSHA was the government yes. uh, organization was... At fault, yes. not Don Blankenship. How was the government at fault for that? Because they would say that what because what they argued was that what MSHA, the mine safety regulator, what MSHA was requiring them to do the the actual procedures that they were requiring the mine to go through and the equipment that they were requiring them to undergo uh, to to buy and to to install to limit coal dust, explosive, flammable coal dust, they said that that particular requirement from MSHA was what caused it, and if only they had let Massey Energy use their own system, then this all would never have happened. Amazing. Uh, the the uh, As I was saying, Blankenship was asking for production reports, keeping the profits up every 30 minutes, even on weekends. Uh, and uh, jurors heard him on uh, audio recording, chastising, lecturing subordinates, uh, we had we a few years ago we ran I think it was after the uh, I can't remember if it was after or before the Upper Big Branch mine disaster but that video that footage of uh, Blankenship roughing up a reporter remember that uh, on camera I, if I remember was, correctly that was yeah. from before the Upper yeah, Big Branch mine explosion been. and it was basically somebody saying hey you know what you're doing here you're endangering your miners and he just basically shoved the guy and shoved the camera and all of that so he's a he's not a not a good person the, and his his little mustache that he has you call him the dark lord of coal yeah. i mean he if he had a top hat yes. he would be like snidely whiplash there i mean he go. looks just like him the government insisted blanket ship and massey energy had embarked on little more than a safety charade with what uh, with the actions that they did take and uh, Blankenship, meanwhile, a, a Republican, he exerted wide influence on West Virginia politics through large contributions. Uh, and he believed that uh, this prosecution amounted to little more than partisan revenge. He had no uh, evidence to underscore that. But uh, as a matter of fact, they, the, the defense didn't even put on they didn't even put on any witnesses. Right. That's um, remarkable. They did not ask him to testify in his own behalf. Apparently they and didn't they need brought to. zero defense. They, they were that confident. Yeah, apparently so. Um, and uh, I should uh, say, however, that while he was a, uh, a diehard Republican, you know, in West Virginia, uh, you know, we had to get our friend Bob Kincaid on here to talk about this soon. But in West Virginia, uh, you know, even the Democrats are Republicans. Yeah. Unfortunately. So it wasn't just Republicans uh, who were making life easy for Blanken, uh, uh, Blankenship.
Big Coal has a stranglehold on West Virginia. Well, they used to. They used to. Massey Energy has now been purchased by Alpha Natural Resources, making them, I think, one of the largest uh, coal company uh, coal companies in the country. And they have now declared bankruptcy. And you know, and also just to point out that a lot of these bankruptcy require uh, bankruptcy requests from these coal companies, it's really just a way to fob off their pension requirements off to the public. Uh, yeah. They declare bankruptcy. Oh, look, we can't uh, handle, we can't pay off our pensions or right. our health care, the benefits that we promised retirees years ago that they worked for. Sorry. Good point, Desi Doyne, although I will uh, add that a coal is in trouble, and it's not oh, yeah. because of a war on coal by, uh, by Barack Obama as... Republicans would have you believe it's uh, largely uh, might be thanks to Barack Obama in that he's allowed so much fracking to go on, which has allowed the, well, expansion, the boom. I don't know (laughs) what the word is, the expansion in uh, in fracking and natural gas, which has made uh, coal too expensive. Yep. And so there you go. Uh, Free market coal fans. Sorry. Anyway, uh, we will see if Don Blankenship spends even a single day in jail the way these cases tend to go. Uh, that doesn't seem to happen, especially when, when we're dealing with a uh, uh, what is considered one misdemeanor count at this point. And especially if we can uh, compare it to what happened to the folks over at BP, whose rig killed 11 workers and unleashed the nation's worst oil offshore oil spill disaster just days after that explosion in West Virginia at uh, Blankenship's mine. Um, today, uh, the, uh, the Justice Department uh, decided to drop manslaughter charges against two BP rig sur- uh, supervisors, making it increasingly likely that no one will spend a day behind bars for that either. Uh, for or for the crimes associated with that deadly disaster. One of the rig supervisors, uh, Donald Vidrine, w- uh, pleaded guilty on Wednesday to a misdemeanor charge of violating the Clean Water Act after a judge agreed to dismiss 11 counts of involuntary manslaughter against him and Robert Calusa. The cases against two other former BP employees already have been resolved with one acquittal, one with a sentence of probation. Keith Jones, whose son Gordon Jones died in the rig explosion, uh, according to uh, AP, attended Wednesday's hearing with his other children, expressed disappointment. The prosecutors dropped the most serious charges against Calusa and Bedrine. He said, quote, as a result of this court proceeding today, no man will ever spend a moment behind bars for killing 11 men for reasons based entirely on greed. The government did secure a landmark criminal settlement and record civil penalties against the uh, energy giant BP. That will cost the corporation billions of dollars, but in terms of individual criminal responsibility, says AP, only four mostly lower-ranking employees faced charges, and even those cases largely unraveled. Over the summer... Uh, BP agreed to a record settlement of $20 billion to states that were affected by the spill, hoping to resolve the legal drama. At the time, the company said that the settlement would bring its full obligation to an estimated $53.8 billion. They had also agreed to uh, plead guilty to manslaughter and pay $4 billion in criminal penalties. But when BP agrees to manslaughter, nobody goes to jail. Because it's a corporation. Yeah, we do. We're in manslaughter. 
11, oh, yeah. 11 workers. Oh, sorry. What if do you need? You put, four, $4 billion? We earn that in a few minutes. If you put profits over people and mm-hmm. kill 29 miners, you would go to jail. You personally. Don't, if it was don't you, give me any ideas, Desi If it Doyen. was any other yeah, human being in the world doing this, taking a gun and killing people. Yeah. Unless it was my corporation, in right. which case, apparently, my corporation can kill everybody they want and nobody will go to jail. That's right. Nice work if you can get it. Um, well, in any case, uh, so Don Blankenship uh, may be off the hook. BP executives are certainly off the hook. We'll have more on all of this, of course, with you, uh, Desi Doyen, in our, our Green News report a little bit later uh, covering the historic United Nations climate talks, which are now underway in Paris, as uh, even as Republicans are working hard to undermine progress in any way that, uh, that they can. Also, we'll be speaking shortly with a Russian reporter who's covering the climate talks in Paris uh, to get a bit of a different uh, perspective, we you know we we cover this issue a lot from the uh, from the U.S. perspective, obviously, because here we are in the U.S. and Desi Doyen is American, and so uh, you know I just follow your lead on this in the, in the Green <laughs> News report, particularly. So we'll we'll get to hear a bit of a different uh, perspective on this, and uh, and uh, one a question I want to ask: Does the former uh, uh, superpower? Who would like to be a superpower again? Who's getting there? Uh, do they consider themselves to be a developing nation at this point? Uh, Russia. Uh, so we'll talk to uh, talk to uh, Dmitry Boshman about that shortly. And and if so, by the way, what is it that uh, Russia, which is oil rich and uh, f- has a fossil fuel based economy now in no small part, uh, what are they seeking out of the talks in Paris? Uh, where Vladimir Putin earlier this week surprised survivor, uh, survivors, uh, s- surprised uh, observers with some pretty blunt talk about the dangers of climate change. Yeah, it's a very Paris. big switcheroo for yep. old Vlad. Uh, between those uh, uh, Paris uh, talks going on and our days off over the past week while we've been out sick and the constant now daily mass shootings, we got a lot to catch up on uh, today, tomorrow, the next day. Uh, we will continue to try to do our best over the next few days. Uh, I want to do a few updates on the San Bernardino shootings following our breaking live coverage yesterday at uh, uh, here in Los Angeles at, uh, at KPFK. That was, as we noted, the 355th mass shooting of the year in the U.S., Just after we went off the air, officials confirmed that they had caught up with and killed the two main suspects in the shootings. Uh, They were uh, a married couple, uh, Syed Rizwan Farouk, 28 years old, Tashfin Malik, 27 years old. They were the primary suspects uh, believed to be responsible for the attack that uh, resulted in 14 people killed and 21 injured. On Thursday at the Inland Regional Center, they were a married couple, uh, each of Pakistani descent. Farouk was a U.S. citizen born in Illinois. Uh, His wife Malik was not. She was uh, in America on a K-1 visa, which allows the fiancé or or, uh, uh, the fiancé of a U.S. citizen to temporarily enter the country. In July 2014, she got that visa after Farouk had traveled uh, internationally to meet her, according to police. The two had a six-month-old daughter. 
Uh, police chief, uh, San Bernardino police chief said the couple had an enormous amount of ammunition. Twelve crude pipe bombs were found in their house. Hundreds of tools that could have been used to construct more bombs. There was obviously a mission here. We know that, says uh, FBI LA Assistant Director David Bowdwich, uh, but we don't know why. And we don't. We are learning more, and I saw some unconfirmed reports that I think I'm going to hold on uh, uh, covering today about uh, some of the victims uh, that could have been at the heart of this uh, reported dispute that uh, apparently Saeed Farouk had with uh, one of his co-workers, after which he left the holiday party and came back with his wife in, uh, in fatigues and with their uh, assault rifles. Farouk had been working as an environmental inspector for the San Bernardino County Public Health Department. He inspected restaurants and public swimming pools, among other things, for the last five years, made about $70,000 a year. Uh, he was a Sunni Muslim. According to one profile, he considered his family, re quote, religious but modern. His interests included reading religious books, just hanging in the backyard, doing target practice with his younger sister and friends. Uh, his uh, estranged father was shocked at suggestions that religion may have been a motivating factor in the attack. Co-workers told the L.A. Times that Farouk had recently traveled to Saudi Arabia, but they had expressed similar disbelief that religious extremism drove him to kill. He never struck me as a fanatic. He never struck me as suspicious, said Griselda Reisinger, um, a former co-worker, told the New York Times. Farouk had been involved in this workplace dispute about which details uh, are st have still not come forward. We're still learning about those. We'll, I suspect, uh, learn more in the next few days. Um, his brother-in-law, Farhan Khan, uh, told reporters, he said, quote, I have no idea why he would do something like this. I have absolutely no idea. I am in shock myself. Uh, so, uh, obviously, the right-wingers are all over this as, uh, oh, look, it's uh, another uh, Muslim extremist, uh, more jihad. It's ISIS who's behind all of this. Religious extremism. Well, they don't say religious extremism. Uh, they say Islamic extremism, because otherwise then we'd have to point out that just days earlier in Colorado Springs, the shooter at the Planned Parenthood, which left three dead and nine injured just days earlier, uh, that shooter thought that he, too, was doing God's work. But, of course, he wasn't Muslim. He was a, a Christian terrorist in this case. Uh, the, uh, the former wife of uh, Robert Louis Deere Jr., former wife from uh, 1985 to 1993 in that Planned Parenthood shooting on Friday, uh, said that he had uh, attacked a Planned Parenthood before. He had put glue in the locks of uh, a Planned, Planet, uh, Planned Parenthood clinic some years ago, about 20 years ago. She, uh, she said for him to plan this and go there, he meant to go there. There is no doubt in my mind. And uh, a source told the uh, New York Times that uh, Deer uh, was very religious um, and that... Uh, he praised anti-abortion extremists, saying that those who attacked providers were doing God's work. That was the shooter at the Planned Parenthood clinic. 
God, uh, God has a God. God is uh, very busy apparently this week. Uh, although he is so far not answering the thoughts and prayers of the Republicans who are calling on God to fix all of these uh, problems, all of these mass shootings. We covered uh, many of the tweets yesterday from the Republican presidential candidates, virtually all of whom described their thoughts and prayers for those in San Bernardino and for the first responders and for the victims. Rather than calling on anybody to actually do anything about this, they called on God to somehow fix this with prayers and thoughts. As it turns out, according to the front page, uh, the front cover of the New York Daily News, in huge letters, huge block letters, God isn't fixing this. New York Daily News included... Uh, a number of those tweets from Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Paul Ryan, Lindsey Graham, and the rest. And right there on the front cover, God isn't fixing this in huge letters. 14 dead in California mass shooting as latest batch of innocent Americans are left lying in pools of blood. Cowards who could truly end gun scourge continue to hide behind meaningless platitudes. Contrast that with the Rupert Murdoch-owned New York Post and their cover today. Rupert Murdoch, of course, uh, owner of News Corp, which is the owner of Fox News. Their cover on the New York Post, uh, Muslim killers in huge block letters, terror-eyed as couple slaughters 14 in California. I don't remember if New York, Time, uh, New York Post or not had a cover, Christian killer last week in Planned Parenthood. That tabloid, of course, is uh, known for their salacious covers, including a screen grab from the body camera of the uh, shooter who killed two Virginia journalists on air in August. Remember that? Hard to keep track of all of these uh, all of these mass shootings that are now going on day by day, more than one per day. Harry Reid is uh, citing uh, Harry Reid, of course, Senate Minority Leader, Democrat Harry Reid, is citing the NRA as a quasi-militant wing of the Republican Party at this point, which is a shocking statement. I don't think they're quasi at all. I think they're a fully formed militant wing of the Republican Party, the NRA, the terrorist enablers at the NRA who have spent millions Millions trying to ensure that absolutely nothing is done about gun violence in this country and have spent uh, uh, millions buying buying those thoughts and prayers from those Republican politicians. They have spent uh, millions, in fact, uh, trying to make sure that those on the terrorist watch list are still able to uh, buy guns without background checks or anything else. They're getting their money's worth, that NRA. Hours before the San Bernardino shooting, uh, on Wednesday morning, a group of doctors, coincidentally, arrived on, at, uh, at Capitol Hill to deliver petitions signed by more than 2,000 physici physicians around the country, pleading, pleading with lawmakers to lift a restriction that for nearly two decades has essentially blocked the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention from conducting research on gun violence. They were joined by a handful of Democratic lawmakers as the doctor spoke about the need to view violence as a public health epidemic and to research ways to solve it. 
as the country would with any disease causing the deaths of thousands of Americans each year. We have talked about that on this show now for a long time. It is a public health epidemic, but we do nothing about it. We do nothing about it even as Republicans pretend to worry about the safety and the security of Americans. They don't actually give a damn about the safety and security of Americans, or they would do something about gun violence, which... As scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson pointed out in a number of three tweets, this was back in in November after the shooting at Umqua College. Remember that? That ended up uh, killing uh, an assistant professor and eight students, injuring nine others. That was just last month up in Oregon. Uh, At the time, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, tweeted some remarkable statistics. He uh, uh, three tweets. He he first said one point four million. That's the number of Americans who died in all wars fought since 1776. Meanwhile, one point four million is also the number of Americans who have died via household guns just since 1968. So the number of Americans killed in all wars, all American wars since 1776, equals the number who have died from uh, from guns, gun household guns since uh, 1968. 400 Americans, I'm sorry, 400,000 Americans died fighting in World War II, DeGrasse Tyson notes. Meanwhile, 400,000 Americans have died by household firearms just since 2001. Since 2001, we have lost as as many Americans as we did in all of World War II. Lost Americans thanks to household firearms. Finally, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson said 3,400 is the number of Americans who died by terrorism since 2001. That would include uh, those lost at uh, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon on 9-11. 3,400 Americans have died by terrorism since 2001. In the meantime, 3,400, the same number of Americans, have died by household firearms since five weeks ago. For every time a household gun is used legally in self-defense in this country, there are four unintentional shootings, seven assaults or murders, and 11 attempted or completed suicides by firearm. But by all means, let's do absolutely nothing about gun violence other than offer our thoughts and our prayers. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today.
Well, the world may be waking up from history in Paris right now as uh, the largest gathering of world leaders in world history took place earlier this week as the U.N. Climate Summit Conference. What do we call COP21? I always have trouble with this. The, the yes. Conference of Parties, right? Yeah, you got it right. Okay. The 21st meeting of the Conference of Parties. 21st meaning they've been doing this uh, every year for 21 years at this yes. point? Yes. And they're still trying to get an agreement on how to curb climate uh, curb emissions? Well, it's only the future of the planet and the global energy system that we have all relied on for a century. Gosh, what do you want? That's true. I was thinking last night, uh, the World's Fair now. 1904 in Missouri, my old home state. They premiered these uh, electric lights for everyone. Everyone was oohed and awed by it. And here we are a uh, hundred years later and we're like, oops, I guess we should have thought about that in advance. How are we going to pay for that? The, uh, the energy to power the world. Well, it has been costly for sure. And uh, the nations of the world are now trying to figure out what the hell to do about it, how they can curb emissions so the planet can move forward uh, without the uh, two degrees, uh, two degrees Celsius. Without is overshooting, overshooting the that. two that's degrees Celsius target. That's the point at which we're going to get into really catastrophic stuff. Yeah. It's going to be bad at two degrees, but they think that it might be survivable. Let's yeah. put it like that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's uh, what they're trying to do, trying to limit it to two degrees. Uh, the world leaders spoke earlier this week. Not that you would have heard about it with everything else going on. Here was uh, a minute or two from uh, President Barack Obama's remarks at the uh, Paris Climate Conference. I believe in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that there is such a thing as being too late. And when it comes to climate change, that hour is almost upon us. But if we act here, if we act now, if we place our own short-term interests behind the air that our young people will breathe and the food that they will eat and the water that they will drink and the hopes and dreams that sustain their lives, then we won't be too late for them. And my fellow leaders, accepting this challenge will not reward us with moments of victory that are clear or quick. Our progress will be measured differently in the suffering that is averted and a planet that's preserved. And that's what's always made this so hard. Our generation may not even live to see the full realization of what we do here, but the knowledge that the next generation will be better off for what we do here. Can we imagine a more worthy reward than that? Passing that on to our children and our grandchildren so that the, when they look back and they see what we did here in Paris, they can take pride in our achievement. Let that be the common purpose here in Paris, a world that is worthy of our children, a world that is marked not by conflict but by cooperation, and not by human suffering but by human progress, a world that's safer and more prosperous and more secure and more free than the one that we inherited. Let's get to work. Thank you very much. That, of course, was President Obama speaking at the opening ceremonies for the uh, climate conference going on in Paris, where they really need, this is the year, they really need 
uh, to come up with an agreement with the rest of the world to solve climate change or at least get on the path towards solving it the way we have solved similar climate crises in the past, uh, whether it was acid rain, whether it was uh, the ozone layer. We're going to talk more about uh, the U.S. role in all of this uh, coming up shortly in our Green News report. But to get a, a different perspective on those climate talks in Paris, we're joined now by Dmitry Boschman, who is covering the Paris climate talks for Sputnik News in uh, in France, where he is the chief editor for Radio Sputnik in Paris. Uh, Dmitry, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for staying up late for us out there today. Hello, Brad. Thank you. Uh, now, folks that I've heard from uh, out there in, uh, in, in Paris, in Europe, some of whom have been working on security issues in advance of the Paris summit, have said that uh, security, particularly in the wake of the November 13 terror attacks out there, has never been higher. Uh, t- tell me, uh, before we get into uh, the, the contours of the actual uh, climate talks and so forth, tell me about the security measures and the concerns that are in place for this for, uh, for this meeting, Dimitri? So, uh, that, that's true. As you might know, the state of emergency is currently declared in France, which means heavy restrictions, freedom of gathering. But uh, some activists decided that it was, it was a violation of their fundamental rights. And at first they found some creative ways to protect uh, to protest, uh, they were leaving their shoes on the pavement near yes. Place de la République, and still the peaceful protest didn't last for long, and it, it all ended up with tear gas and arrests. There were also also reports that the rapid train line from Brussels, it's called Telis, uh, it, it was blocked, and it turned out that um, someone actually uh, committed an act of sabotage. So. Uh, it, it was interrupted for for uh, almost a day. Well, so, I, ha- um, I hadn't heard about that. We did see yeah. the reports of the uh, of the tear gas of the mace that was used against uh, demonstrators out there, which, as you say, Dimitri, have been banned during the uh, during the conference due to those security concerns. Um, has there been a, 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 any incidents uh, since then, as far as uh, protesters or demonstrators go, or did that? Uh, tear gassing pretty much uh, do the job of, of uh, dampening any further demonstrations out there? It pretty much did the job. So it, it, it all happened uh, during the first day. Mm-hmm. So far, it, it's been calm for, for a couple of days. Uh, gotcha. And uh, th- this was uh, the largest gathering of world leaders, I think, in, in, uh, in history. Aside from the, uh, the demonstrations uh, that were disallowed, uh, what about security at the facilities itself, where the leaders were? I, I, I think a, a lot of them have now left, but uh, w- w- were the media allowed to get close to those, uh, to those events, to those opening speeches and so forth, where those leaders were gathered? Uh, n- not all of them. The, the, the measures that uh, the French police uh, took was really unprecedented. It, it all started from, from the airport, mm-hmm. which uh, became a, a, a sort of a fortress. And uh, it went all along to um, Le Bourget, mm-hmm. where the, 
the meeting took place. Now, are you able to get a sense of the mood at this conference, other than the security issues, but the actual, let's talk about the, the climate issues, uh, the mood uh, either among the uh, direct participants out there or among the activist groups and so forth uh, on the periphery of the summit? Is there, is there optimism, uh, Dimitri, that a deal will actually be struck this time after uh, several tries at it uh, over past years, uh, past uh, uh, UN conferences? I should say that there are two groups of people that show optimism now in France. is the government and the Greens. And the two of them are linked between each other because Hollande got elected with the support of the Greens. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're so talking about you're talking about the, the specifically you're talking about the French government uh, in. in I, I, yeah, specifically yeah. I'm talking about the, the French government. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I would say that the local media made such buzz around the event as if it were the World Cup, and there was indeed this feeling in the air that the change was possible. But mean, meanwhile, um, there is a lot of skepticism now about the possibility of signing a binding agreement at the end of the conference. Mm-hmm. And as, as far as I can judge, people, um, French people, start losing interest. People talk about terrorism, Syria, and Erdogan, and that, that's uh, what the press is more interested in. Really? rather than uh, addressing the environmental issues. And it, it, it actually doesn't look like a Super Bowl. It looks uh, more like a weird family sitcom with Francois Hollande sitting next to his ex-wife, who is now the minister of ecology in his government, you know, participating in, in panel discussions. So, Well, I, I, I would guess so. So you're saying that uh, there's more interest, more concern in, in security and... Uh, uh, the the uh, the the shoot down of the Russian uh, plane and so forth uh, by by Turkey. Then there is focus at this point in France on these climate talks. That that's almost a sideline uh, issue at this point. But uh, that's what interests people. Okay. At, at this point, and and so, some people who criticize the the French government, they say that it's actually more important than the climate change for, at this point. And we, you know, we hear that in this country, too, of course, from uh, from folks who say, uh, you know, that uh, terror uh, and ISIS is a much greater threat than climate change. Although, uh, while it may be more of an immediate threat with uh, so much that is currently going on, uh, I I should think the survival of the species on this planet is ultimately a, a greater existential threat. Uh, but we certainly see that in this country. Uh, Dimitri, uh, I know you cover uh, politics uh, for Sputnik in Paris, but I'd love to ask you uh, about, since you work uh, with Sputnik, uh, about uh, Russia and their stake in all of this. Their economy has uh, has become very much based in fossil fuels. Uh, so any agreement in Paris to reduce emissions could lead to an eventual reduction in that sector of the Russian economy. Um, uh, Vladimir Putin came out and uh, made some uh, pretty strong statements, at least in the opening of the conference, calling climate change one of the gravest challenges humanity is facing, uh, cited uh, uh, hurricanes, droughts, floods, and other anomalies as the source of economic, uh, economic damage thanks to global warming. What is the... Uh, what is the Russian stake here? What is the Russian interest? Are uh, are, are are they really interested in uh, in curbing emissions? Uh, what are they hoping to get out of a global climate agreement? To your understanding, 
But to my understanding, President Putin's speech was quite a surprise, and it was it was also um, quite symbolical. As, as a relatively poor country, mm-hmm. if we take uh, the GDP per capita, mm-hmm. Russia has always been more concerned about development issues rather than environmental problems. Hence, the change in rhetoric that we can witness um, at COP21 is even more symbolic. So Russia takes credit for a significant progress they made in reducing carbon emissions within Kyoto Protocol. So the the current plan is to reduce uh, um, the emissions by 30% um, by uh, 2030, as compared to uh, 1990 when when it was signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there also, uh, President Putin spoke about the new priorities for Russia. It is the use of energy efficient technologies, as well as preserving the Russian forests that absorb carbon dioxide naturally. So um, for for Russia, it's important that the forests be mentioned in the in the final document that that is going to be signed after the conference. One of the, uh, well, the big sticking point, I I suppose, that has been uh, ongoing at these talks, uh, both this year and in previous years, is how much uh, the developing world, uh, like India, uh, for example, you know, will be compensated from uh, from the rest of the world to help them grow their economy to catch up with wealthier nations, uh, you know, who had the luxury of coming to power on a dirty fossil fuel based economy. Uh, does, does Russia consider themselves part of that so-called uh, developing world uh, that would uh, hopefully in part of any agreement here actually receive compensation to help them uh, leap over the uh, the industrial revolution, the fossil fuel based industrial revolution in any event? Um, Russia actually, there, there are two approaches to, to that problem. Either we evaluate the green record of every country by um, the emissions per capita, mm-hmm. or we, we take the overall in, in emissions. And so. And of course, U.S. Uh, we are I, we lead the world, I believe, in in per capita uh, emissions, whereas China leads the world in overall emissions. Yes. Yeah. Russia actually has is more than any country interest in, interested in in the compromise on on this matter. So, but would they like to receive uh, money, receive compensation, essentially? Uh, you know, for for skipping the fossil fuels and jumping right to uh, renewables, renewable technology, and so forth. But of course, they are. Mm-hmm. But the the, uh, the the main idea that uh, they want to uh, uh, recognition for the amount of forests that they have on on the territory, and uh, because it, it naturally absorbs the emissions, mm-hmm. the, the carbon dioxide. And so they're looking so, for a compensation um, for not destroying those forests? They're looking for a forces? compensation for not, yeah, for gotcha. preserving the forests that, that serve as uh, natural lungs of this planet. So um, there, there is there's one problem Russia is facing now. Yeah. It's because of the uh, economic um, crisis, they, um, they have less money to invest in uh, in new technology, mm-hmm. in, in new green technology. So that that that's uh, something that um, that is more difficult 
than he, he was a, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say, uh, Dmitry, well, you know, that, that Russian President Vladimir Putin has surprised some observers with his, his blunt talk at those opening ceremonies about the dangers of climate change. Um, does uh, we've talked on this show quite a bit for many years uh, about the problem that we have in this country uh, for climate change denial and denialists. Now, uh, Putin in the past has has made some jokes about uh, climate change, but he did seem to be serious in his opening remarks. Does does Russia have the same kind of problems uh, that we do in this country as far as uh, what we call the denialist industry? So you've got, you know, our president, uh, Obama, taking climate change very seriously, but he's up against uh, a, a U.S. Congress that wants to undermine his efforts, not just for political reasons, but because they are part of that denialist industry, that denialist community. Uh, does Russia have its own denialist community or is the country on board to take action for climate change as you understand it? I would call it pragmatism. So Russia has less people that are denying mm-hmm. the climate change, but it also has less um, green activists. So the approach is more pragmatic. But uh, things are, are, are changing now. The, during the preparation for, for the Winter Olympics in Sochi, mm-hmm. the perception is changing among the decision makers. And uh, the, the, the Putin's speech is just uh, another proof that it, that is, it is changing. Because, and and uh, what he's saying, that, that proves that those, those people are, are finally aware of you know, the importance of the issue. Well, we can we can only hope so, and uh, I I hope that you're right that uh, the that the French government, which is, seems to be feeling optimistic, I hope that spreads to the rest of the participants uh, in the COP21 uh, conference out there in Paris. Uh, Dimitri Boschman uh, of Sputnik News, greatly appreciate uh, your your coverage. You're staying up late to. Uh, touch base with us here today and uh, and good luck over the next uh, what i think we got a, another week and a half or so of this conference correct yep all right very good dimitri we'll Almost. check we'll check back in uh stay safe out there and thanks again for uh, touching base with us tonight thank you that's dimitri boschman he is the chief editor for radio sputnik in paris covering the paris climate talks for sputnik news in france more coverage ahead from an American point of view. Desi Doyen, you're American, right? Oh, yes. All right, coming up right after this break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. World, stop. Stop melting. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. One small correction. Desi Doyen, before the break, I said you were American. Yeah. You're actually born in Texas, right? This is true. Okay. So, you know, is that American? Oh, it totally is. Sorry. All right. But I, I'm also part Cherokee, so I'm indigenous. So oh, y'all, you're totally All in. y'all can go home. As okay, far as there you go. Doing. I was going to say Texas is like a whole other country, but <laughs> whatever. Is. Yeah, it is. But the Cherokee, that, that gets you in for sure. All right. Uh, well, we better get to it. Running late. What a surprise. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. There is this sort of unanimity 
of opinion that something has got to get done here. Historic United Nations climate talks now underway in Paris. Technology-driven advances are going to are relentless. They're going to drive down costs, and they're basically going to make the cheapest thing to do the cleanest thing to do. Governments and billionaires launch huge new investments in clean energy. Plus, governments currently engaged in this round of climate talks will want to know that there is more than just an executive branch in our system of government. Republicans working hard to undermine progress in any way they can. All of that undermining and progress straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. While the world is in turmoil and falling apart in so many different ways, especially with ISIS, our president is worried about global warming. What a ridiculous situation. And no one knows ridiculous situations better than you, Mr. Trump. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it's quite remarkable with so much going on in the news. uh, It's easy to not even notice the fact that this historic climate change conference is now actually underway in Paris, as you have been waiting for and anticipating for so many months. Oh, yeah. It's history being made in Paris right now at the Global Climate Talks. The nations of the world are now meeting in Paris for the 21st Conference of the Parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or COP21 for short. The goal is to complete a comprehensive international binding agreement for all nations to cut the greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous global warming in order to keep the planet's temperature from rising more than two degrees Celsius over pre-industrial times. Yeah, good luck with that. I know. It's about three and a half degrees Fahrenheit. Human activity has already raised temperatures by one degree Celsius. So, by the way, we are halfway there. Just to clarify, halfway to the bad thing, not halfway to the good thing. That's right. U.S. President Barack Obama opened the U.N. Climate Conference with an acknowledgement that developed countries like the U.S. bear responsibility to take action. There is such a thing as being too late. And when it comes to climate change, that hour is almost upon us. I've come here personally as the leader of the world's largest economy and the second largest emitter to say that the United States of America not only recognizes our role in creating this problem, We embrace our responsibility to do something about it. A successful global agreement includes transparent mechanisms for all countries to review their progress and ratchet up their targets as new technology becomes available. It includes measures to reduce deforestation and the biggest area of conflict, funding for developing nations so that they can prepare for climate change impacts and hopefully leapfrog over the pollution phase of development while still lifting their people out of poverty. And most importantly, Importantly, that it is an ambitious target that seeks a, a low carbon global economy over the course of this century. In other words, phasing out fossil fuels completely. One thing the Paris conference will not do is solve climate change. National pledges to reduce emissions so far are not enough to stay below the key threshold of two degrees Celsius. So this is only the beginning. The talks create the architecture, the framework for the decades-long transition to a low-carbon and eventually zero-carbon economy. This is the first time all nations have agreed to do so. President 
Obama concluded his participation in Paris with a hopeful message. I'm optimistic. I think we're going to solve it. I think the issue is just going to be the pace and how much damage is done before uh, we are able to fully apply the brakes. And so far, several major new financing programs have already been launched. The White House announced two sweeping initiatives. The U.S. and 20 developed nations will increase investment in clean energy research and development. A separate initiative headed by Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates will mobilize $20 billion in private venture capital investment. And India announced a new global solar energy partnership with 121 developing countries. But here in the U.S., congressional Republicans still trying to undermine President Obama in Paris. No. This, uh, yes, this week passing two new resolutions to overturn Obama's landmark new emission standards for power plants, even though the White House will veto the legislation. They said it's to send a message to the world community that the U.S. might not abide by any agreement. And to send a message that they don't like this planet really at all. They have no interest in keeping it livable, apparently. Yet the Republicans are out of step with Americans. A new New York Times CBS poll this week finds two-thirds of Americans want the U.S. to sign on to the U.N. agreement. For much more on the stories we covered today, including COP21, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. So we are halfway there, halfway to the point at which the world will become unlivable. (laughs) Uh, uninhabitable. Well, uh, it's going to get really bad. It will get bad. Yes. A- and uh, there's universal agreement here that even if everyone agrees to uh, go ahead with the plans in Paris, in yes. Paris, we still ain't going to hit that two degree. We're going to roll right past that two degree mark. Right. But this is the framework of building the bridge of where we're going to go. You got to build the framework first before you can build a bridge. We better start building. Oh, yeah. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to Dimitri Boschman of Sputnik News, and as ever, my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts on today's program or any other, you can always drop us email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can and should follow us uh, on the Twitters and the Facebooks. I am the Brad Blog over there. And if you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it. You can head on over to iTunes and subscribe for free. Or you can stop by bradblog.com, listen to the show there, and get a whole bunch of value-added information at the same time. All right, that's it. We will continue saving the world next time. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.